Action Park Media. Good morning, everybody. Uh, in today's episode, I chat to the wonderful, delightful Amelia. She is a herbalist and a naturopath, and I'll just cut straight to it. We talk a lot about thrush um, <laughs> and the female anatomy, um, good female health and well-being, and sort of her journey into this um, realm, this area of expertise. It's very cool. So yes, you're going to love it. This is Pretty Depressed with Amelia. Would you be able to tell me what a medical herbalist and natural fertility person does what is that <laughs> yeah that is a big question right so yeah. um I work in women's health as a naturopath and ultimately I work in lifestyle medicine I think that that's probably the best way to, to pitch it I think there's a lot of preconceived ideas about what a naturopath does and a lot of people think that that's kind of all woo-woo and it's not evidence-based um, but as a clinician and someone who's working with patients like every day, I spend a lot of my time looking at research articles, um, you know, listening to keynote speakers, attending seminars with some of like the top people in the world who work in women's health. And so, yeah, it very much is evidence-based. Um, I had to do a Bachelor of Natural Medicine to, to acquire those skills, I then um, had to get registered. You have to uphold continued professional development points. Mm. Um, you're accountable to a body. And so what tools do I have in my toolkit, I guess, in, in terms of what I do every day? Mm. I always use a food-first approach. So that means that I use nutrition. and Which is, by the way, as someone who's spent a lot of time stalking your Instagram, there's some pretty delicious things on there. My friend Shannon and I, I was like, oh, my God, this looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think my Instagram, um, there's not a lot on there because I've had kids recently, right? And so, um, yeah, but food is a passion of mine and, and that is also for my children too. So so food first approach because you can't supplement your way out of a really poor diet, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also look at other lifestyle factors that, you know, I think that medicine is catching up with the need for exercise, the need for like green space. And I think that's really important, you know, our connection with nature, mm-hmm. Um I have my plant allies, my herbal medicine, and I think also that's a way of like reconnecting us back to nature as well, which I really love. Mm. Um, What else do we do as a naturopath? Yeah, that's kind of all-encompassing. I think the main thing that I would say is you look at the whole person and we know that there's this mind-body connection, there's nutrition that plays an element, there's stress, there's exercise, there's the environment, um, there's epigenetics, there's chemicals that we're exposed to. So we kind of look at all of those factors and see how some of those could be playing into your health. Hmm. And just out of curiosity, is there kind of like one, (laughs) of course, Give me the listicle version. Is there a, a food or a plant or anything that is like your ultimate? Like I know for a while everyone was like turmeric, it's turmeric or a spice. Or it's like for you and your life at the moment, is there something you're kind of geeking out about or you're just like so obsessed with and you wish that every person was taking? 
I think that varies on age and stage. Like I have yeah. certainly gone through different things depending on the age and stage that I've been at. So, you know, I've had endometriosis. Um, so then I was looking at things that were really beautiful for helping with my endometriosis mm-hmm. um, to get on top of that. Then I was looking at it from like a preconception point of view. So yeah, I I am a diehard fan of turmeric. Okay, great, good. <laughs> but you know, you've got to remember that you've got to have biopairing with it, which is black pepper, and you need to have fat soluble. Um, you need to have you know fats that help you to be able to absorb the curcuminoids that are in the turmeric. So I'm a big fan of that. At the moment, I am kind of crazy on passion flower. To be honest, it is passion um, flower. Passion flower, yeah. It's a herbal medicine. It's actually been used um, in comparison, like they've done studies comparing it with some antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication, and it has come out. I need, yeah. an, I, I need an IV of passion flower. Let's go. Yeah. And, cool. you know, you can use it um, acutely. So sometimes I'll give it to people who have, like, a fear of flying. I will give them a passion flower tincture and they can take that. Um, pre-operatively there's actually some really good research on using it as a pre-op because it doesn't interfere with the anesthetic of course you've got to do this with a trained herbalist don't just go out and take it and yeah but um, I love passion flower because it also works on the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal access and I have two young children I'm managing a practice Um, life is pretty busy for me and I just feel like we all need a little bit of extra support with just calming the nervous system down. And I find it's really important to make sure that if I want regulated children, the only way that that's going to happen is by being regulated myself. So if I'm in a dysregulated state, yes. you know, they're going to be dysregulated as well. So um, I'm not, I haven't mastered this, Kim. <laughs> That's fine. You're on the journey. Yeah, right? So yeah. I say certainly like passion flower. Um, oh, there's so many herbs. Like I love ginger. We 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 cook yeah, with ginger a lot of time. Passion flower. I don't even think I've heard of it. What is it? Yeah, where does it grow? How does it tonight? Yeah, passion flower. I mean, you it, it can grow in New Zealand. There's a beautiful farm um out near Little River on the Banks Peninsula where a lovely lady called Valme Becker actually. Um, grows passion flower so you can actually grow it at home um I source mine actually through Phytomed who's who I get my herbal tinctures off so that's yeah but there are a lot of different growers and kind of throughout the world really and that must be a cool kind of journey as well and I want to talk about how you got into this but like finding that connection back to plants back to you know we've got we've come like so far in the other direction that it's nice that there is almost I feel a bit of a movement of like even in my friend group and peers it's like everyone wants to be like somewhat sustainable it's like we're we're kind of like circling back to that that feeling of feeling grounded and connection to our food and where it comes from and yeah it's um it's really and like a funny little story on that I often think that plants follow you I know that sounds completely woo-woo but yeah I had this time in my life that... You don't have to worry. I've spoken to an alien on this podcast. We're good. I had this time in my life where nettle was just forever prolific. Like it was just everywhere, no matter what house I went to, nettle turned up as a weed. Like it was in my backyard. I moved house. We ended up with this influx of nettle plants. And I was having all these problems with like histamines and skin. And also I was, I think it was before I was 
pregnant and it's a really beautiful nutritive herb um it's high in iron and I just think oh my gosh my body really needed it and to be honest in the last few years I haven't seen it anywhere but something else will crop up like rosemary is one that's coming up at the moment that I see a lot and that really helps with brain cognition to be honest and hey ho like I'm starting to edge towards perimenopause. So I'm sure that there are elements that I need to that's, work on with that. Yeah. That's kind of a, I like the, okay. So if you're listening to this and you're like, gee, I've seen a lot of lavender or gee, I've seen yeah. a lot of this, like take note, people. The plants are take trying note. to get in your life. Like, yeah. <laughs> if you're open and to it. Way um, okay, so there are a couple of specific things I want to talk about and talk about your journey as well. I've got, I've got a whole list. But um, one of the real things for me personally that I wanted to sort of pick your brain about, um, and I'm not too ashamed to admit it, is that uh, I am someone who experiences a lot of candida overgrowth, a lot of thrush. It's like the very first thing that seems to happen to me when I get overwhelmed, um, I'm on the risk of burnout. It's the way my body kind of presents. And I was watching some of your stories and I was like, oh, this is so interesting. I am doing, medicating the problem from the outside and like getting the creams, the whatever. Um, I've tried the oral pill and it goes away for a time. But as soon as I wear togs for longer than like, you know, five hours or I get run down, bam. And I'm kind of wearing it as a badge now, like I joke about it with everybody and my friends and it's like, oh, itchy fanny again, you know, oh, great, awesome, fantastic. Yeah. Kind of having this aha moment of like, really, I don't know why I haven't thought of this before, like, yeah, obviously there's something wrong because I'm experiencing this so often and going to the GP so often to the point that I can just call now and be like, can you send another prescription? Like I haven't really learned and I'm sure I'm not the only one going through this. Um, so it's a symptom of potentially, based on your stories, like bad gut health. I mean, I'm not asking you to diagnose me, but I'm just saying no, like, sure. so you, a great thing that someone could come to someone like you for is, uh, I say all this to share my experience of like, mm. you would be able to help me, right? Like look at kind of, and the work you yeah. do to mystify it. Yeah. So I'm really fascinated at the moment and it seemed, you know, it's interesting, um, Clinically, I'm seeing a lot of people with thrush and bacterial vaginosis. Like this has just been an influx of people. And I don't know, it's, is it just... They're following you around people. as well? Me, us in yeah, the exactly. <laughs> So this often happens. Like in clinic, I'll just start seeing a whole lot of people for a particular condition. It's like, oh, yeah. you're the, you know, you're the endo go-to or you're the... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm really, really interested in the vaginal microbiome because I think that there hasn't been a lot of talk about that. You know, we've we've learned a lot about the gut. I mean, it's embarrassing, right? Like, look at my face. I'm red flush, even though, like, oh. I'm happy to talk about it. There's still something in here. Like, oh, I don't I know, want to keep an unhealthy fanny. <laughs> about, you know, talking about your vagina and talking about the microbiota and your, your vagina. I mean, we'll get back onto this question, Kim, but I think it's quite funny because I don't hear from my sister. She lives in the UK. I haven't heard from my sister in like months, like probably about six months. And she, I, after I did a little post, she, she just sent me this text and it said, loved your chat on the vagina. Like that was all that it said. Hi sister. And right. I was like, hi Em, lovely to see you. But yeah, thanks for, yeah. 
just shows you oh, that yeah. that is intriguing. Anyway, so, anyway, to talk about it. so the vaginal microbiome is incredibly interesting and it is influenced often by um, hormones. Mm. So we know that the vagina microbiome can change throughout the life, like the different life stages. So we know that um, pre-puberty, there are a different set of hormones that are occurring at that point. We know during pregnancy that, that this can also become a time where um, these conditions can kind of proliferate. And we also know perimenopause um, and menopause, there's changes with the vaginal microbiome that occur as well. It also changes throughout the menstrual cycle. So what you can find is, and this is just for um, your listeners and for yourself, is that you can end up when you're like charting it, which is what I often get people to do is to take a symptom diary. And you'll see that there's this charting of, depending on what species is active, whether that's like, um, whether we're looking at fun fungal or bacterial, you can actually start to see that there are changes that occur. So you might find in the follicular phase that actually um, symptoms are well under control for some people. And as you move into the luteal phase that they have um, an influx of symptoms. Likewise, that could swap around depending on what um, bacteria you've got there. So that's kind of like my number one step for people is take note of what's happening with your cycle. Mm. Um, and when you're noticing your symptoms. So that's what I get people to do because then we can look at are there certain hormones that are slightly out of check um, mm. that we need to address. And as you've talked about, like stress can then impact on hormones as well. So that's mm. another big thing is like looking at your stress and how does stress impact on your cycle and how does stress mm. impact um, of those symptoms as well. You definitely need to go back and look at the whole gut, like the whole body, the whole ecology of the of the body. Um, you can do vaginal microbiome testing, which I'm using more in clinic, because it can show you a really detailed approach as to exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes you just have to go back and do a really good case take with people and find out like what else has been occurring with them. Maybe they have IBS, maybe they have IBD, maybe they're on sort of medications, maybe they're on the marina, um, maybe they're on the copper IUD. You know, I'm seeing more cases of that with people who are on those types of contraceptives, which makes sense when they go back to talking about hormones and the impact that it has. Um, I I have to say, like, it's probably... um, a, a bit of rundown, a bit like a, the cocktail for me would be uh, lack of sleep, you know, an onset of insomnia, um, uh, medicating with sugar and yeah. carbs as a way to like stay up if I'm like, well, we've got to keep going as I know a lot of women yeah. and men too, but I know a lot of mothers too. It's like, well, we've got to, <laughs> no time to be yeah. sick, got to keep going. Uh and that seems to be a bit of a cocktail and with traveling quite a lot, changes in things. Um, and I, I've, I've now tried to like just buy cotton underwear is another thing. So I'm trying to medicate, but you're right. I'm trying to stop the problem at like the other end when I need Yeah, to- like you can stop wearing your sports, you like your active wear and you can do all of those things, which do ch- change like the vaginal microbiome for sure. But again, like looking at your immune system and how you can support that goes a long way to actually getting on top of it and looking at the other things that your immune system may need to function, like your vitamin D, your zinc, your iron. Um, Mm. But again, looking at the gut. I mean, I really like, 
I really like things like garlic. Garlic can be really wonderful. Um, and I actually often get people to do suppositories, to be honest, with garlic and coconut yogurt. <laughs> I know everyone's going to be looking to this. But Love um, yeah, so that can actually be a really wonderful tool, depending on like when you're looking at the species that are active. But like garlic suppositories, um, you know, I often get people to insert them at bedtime and then they can take out it in the next morning as well. So that's kind of like a really homemade home remedy version oh, of things. Okay. Um, boric acid as well is something that can work quite well, but that often works quite well with people who have got, um, they have this kind of situation where they get bacterial vaginosis and then they get candida because they go on the antibiotics for the bacterial vaginosis oh. and then they get thrush. Anytime I go on antibiotics, it's like at the pharmacy now, they also give me the um, the cream because as soon as I'm on antibiotics, immediately, which is... Yeah, and so doing things like we know that there's um, a beneficial yeast called Saccharomyces boulardii. I use that a lot with people who are having um, common like thrush because it works on the gut. It helps to reduce a lot of um, inflammation and it helps to reestablish the gut microbiome. So. I love that, particularly with people who have like IB, IBSD, like they're diarrhea dominant. Mm. Um, I'll use it a lot with in those that sort of subset of the population as well. But yeah, there are other types of probiotics get, that can be really um, beneficial to be used depending on the person. And yeah. And just on the probiotics, because I have noticed a difference from taking one um, that it's I'm flaring up a lot less. But I also noticed when I came off it that it was an immediate. Is a probiotic something that, in your opinion, and again, this is each everyone's individual and take this or leave it. But is it something that you should be on all the time, or are you trying? Or is it also a band aid? Yeah, well, in some ways, it can be a band aid. Um, you want to try and help to reestablish the whole gut microbiome itself. So. You need to be looking at your overall diet that can help, you know, like prebiotic fibers that can help to reestablish the gut. So we know that there's things like butyrate um, that can be really useful as well. So I'll often use that. Um, there's certain fibers like hydrolyzed guar gum, you've often, which is a prebiotic fiber. Mm -hmm. I'll often use that with my BV or my kind of candida clients, but you've got to go like slow and steady because I like our name, the candida clients. <laughs> like yeah, a, candida. we need a client. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we could call it Jane or like yeah, no, know, no, lean into it. Client, um, yeah. client B. Anyway, so hydrolyzed, yeah, guar gum. But again, for some people, fiber like those prebiotic fibers can cause gut symptoms. So again, it comes back to the case take that you do and making sure that they're not having a whole lot of bloating or gas. I mean, that's clinically telling you other things, but you might have to just start with like a sprinkle mm. on a smoothie and then slowly um, increase your tolerance as well. But, you know, there's lots of beautiful antimicrobial and antifungal herbs. Like we've talked about garlic. I love thyme. I also love um, certain types of mushrooms because it's looking at like the whole body again, looking at like Kim as the individual, what's happening with your life, your adaptation to stress, mm. um, your immune response, you know, helping to look after and support your immune system. So, yeah, case-by-case mm. -case basis, but as much as I can 
it just it just seems like I'm so stoked that um one that myself and our listeners have you kind of in their zeitgeist at the moment but also it just seems so so everyone I know at the moment has like hormonal acne around here like everyone who's trying to get healthier seems to be kind of presenting these same symptoms that I you know like this kind of hormonal acne um uh, what else is a sub? Yeah, like gut issue. Yeah, it just seems very. As soon as we're kind of diving into it, learning that we've been doing all these behaviors, which have been so like I was on the pill since I was like seventeen. Like, <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a common thing is like that post pill acne, which you know a lot of people. Yeah, don't experience. touch it is what I need to do. But my God, it's so fun, but it's not. Yeah. So you've got to go back and, you know, look at those things that we know are depleted when you take the pill. So, you know, zinc for you could be really clinically indicated um, because we know that the pill, the OCP, will deplete you of zinc. So food for thought. There you go. Get my zinc meds. Uh, And I guess, which I probably should have started with, but anyway, we found ourselves the way into thrush early. Uh, (laughs) And I don't want to take too much of your time. You know, <laughs> I, I am curious of how you found yourself into this line of of work because I can see how addicting it must be once you probably, I'm assuming, went through your own health journey and were able to see results. Is that kind of how it birthed itself for you? Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about like how did I arrive at this point? Yeah. And like when did I leave my my first job? So this is like probably been like a 15-year journey to get to where I am now, like right. which is crazy because it just makes me feel a whole lot older than I actually think I am. Um, but Fine, you're only as old as Yeah, so I started in property valuation. I um, was a registered valuer and I worked in a high-stress corporate job doing that. And I was sitting my registration exams, which is kind of like the bar exam or your accountancy exam, and I was just in chronic, like I was chronically stressed and chronically anxious. And there was a whole lot of reasons, like the Christchurch earthquake had happened. I was living in Auckland. That was a huge stress. I felt a little bit misunderstood with that. A lot of people didn't realize, you know, what I was going through with loss of my hometown and kind of people, what happened to my family and things. Um and my, I, at the same time as going through registration, there was a lot of expectation. No one at my company had ever failed. So I was certain I was going to be the first person. But ultimately, I also knew in my heart that I really didn't want to do it. And yeah, I was really following that path for everyone else other than myself. Mm. And... I just didn't think I could get off the hamster wheel. Like I had invested a long time studying at university. I had spent four years studying towards this registration and I couldn't fathom that there could be another option. You know, like I was in my mid-20s, I think, something ridiculous at that point. And um, so, yeah, so that was one part. And I had a whole lot of menstrual symptoms that were really playing up. So I finally went to see a gynecologist and they said to me, look, I think it's endometriosis. And we did some pelvic scans and um, some other things. And and it came back that I had adenomyosis and endometriosis. And so I really realised, like, stress was impacting on this hugely. 
and decided I needed to make change. I got registered. I went through my exams. I don't even know why. <laughs> like I still have nightmares over it, but anyway. <laughs> and I decided to leave my job and I moved to France. I just... <laughs> Beautiful. Like very privileged situation to go on, but I was just like, right. you know what, I'm exiting from here and I'm going to reevaluate my life at this point. And I hadn't done an OE and I was like, okay, everyone's going to the UK to go and do that. You know what, I'm going to go do something different. I had it, always had an affinity with that as a country. And um, yeah, that was a real time of growth and change for me. It, it allowed me some time and space to get off the hamster wheel and to really evaluate what I wanted to do. Mm. And so during this journey, I realized that when I took out stress, that my endometriosis symptoms were greatly improved. I realized when I ate like a Mediterranean diet, again, that my endometriosis symptoms were improved. I noticed that when I would go out and have like a really big frothy milk coffee, that things got worse. Um, So I started to see this correlation between diet, lifestyle, stress, and how that was really impacting on endometriosis. And I decided, you know, I'm going to go and study um, to do nutrition. So I was going to do a health science degree in in nutrition. And I moved back home and I was all ready to roll with going to do that. And I sort of just had a chance meeting with someone and they were like, hey, have you thought about doing natural medicine? And my mum had always been one to take me to the Chinese herbalist as a child, to be honest. Like I okay, So you're, you're open to it already. I was always yeah. open to it. My mum was never a big advocate for antibiotics unless you really had to. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of in like the background. It wasn't completely new to me, but um, it was definitely a pivot. But mm-hmm. again, I think I was just really like, yeah, why wouldn't I do that? That aligns so beautifully with my values. I feel like I can reach women on a different level rather than just using nutrition. And to be honest, I enrolled and turned up to class and I was like, here we go. I don't know exactly what I'm going to learn, but I'm just really fully trusting my instincts that this is the right path for me. Perfect. And um, I never looked back. Like, you know, occasionally I would go, oh my gosh, this is where I would be in my career if I continued on that path. But I just love it. Like I just... You know, when you go to work every day and you're excited about like learning something new and sharing that with people and I just feel really privileged that I get to to help women with like quite complex conditions that I often will work, you know, alongside the gynecologist or their obstetrician or their endocrinologist and really support them throughout that journey. And I just feel so lucky that that's actually what I do for a job. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, that must feel so nice when you're, especially, I imagine the biggest reward would probably be people sort of on a fertility journey or something, you know what I mean? Like that must be, because there's a real result. You know, you see see the benefit of that at the end of it, right? That must be a really rewarding space. Yeah, and I also look at my own journey and think, wow, like if I had not gone down this path, I wonder, you know, would I have had my own babies? Yeah. Um, and so actually that's the only thing I achieved from doing, like changing my careers. Like I'm forever grateful that I have got two beautiful, tiny wee boys. And, but yeah, I mean, certainly when you get to meet, like you actually get to meet the, the offspring or the child, you know, yeah. and you're like, 
this is so cool that I facilitated that. Like, and also, you know, not just for those that were struggling with fertility, but I think also for those who consciously wanted to have a better pregnancy, have a better postpartum period, Mm. Um, or who knew that there were certain levers that you can pull throughout that preconception phase that will dictate like what genes can potentially get turned on and off. And I think that is a really empowering and amazing thing because what is more important than like investing in your health to help to determine like what will happen later with their own health? Like for, mm. as a mother, like I find that that is um, really powerful. Mm. So. Yeah, I imagine it's also a space that's ever evolving because I, whilst all of us humans are unique and in some ways probably quite similar, I'm sure there's each case must be like an exciting project for you too. Yeah, and you always have to go back to the humanness of of someone because you know you can look at all the research and then you have to look at the person and go, can they actually action all of these things? I think particularly with fertility. Like there is so much that there's so much pressure I find on women around fertility, particularly if there is subfertility and they're struggling with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they get given this huge things to do list of, you know, to cut out all the BPAs and the phylates and like get rid of all your makeup. Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure and there's often a lot of pointing fingers, to be honest, at the female. And from my experience, you know, and I bang my head against a wall sometimes on this, it's about combined fertility, mm. you know, and you really need to get the partner or the sperm donor, whoever, you know, to really come to the party on that because I feel like for, for far too long women have carried the burden of that mm. and there is so much that we know now about sperm health and how that will impact on fertility essentially. And so what we do know is that the egg chooses the sperm which is really fascinating, and that it is the egg's job to then mop up any damage that's gone wrong with the sperm. So if we actually have better quality sperm, there's less work that that egg has to do. And so, yeah, that is kind of really key, a key message, a key take-home message. That yeah. you know, as, a, as a little take-home message, because I'm sure, I know we speak about women in this space, I'm sure there are many men who um, also use the services of, of someone like you, but for a lot of the wives and girlfriends that are listening, <laughs> what what is something that men can be taking or doing? And I know, again, I'm speaking in generalized terms mm. here, but I'm assuming anti-inflammatory stuff is kind of key, low alcohol. Yeah, well, you've got to look at oxidative yeah. stress because anything that you do, uh, like, you know, alcohol, too much caffeine, too much heat, you know, on the testes area, like all of those things are going to be really damaging as well. Poor diet, they're going to impact on your sperm quality. But I think in New Zealand, like there's sort of this pandemic of vitamin D deficiency, to be honest. And more often than not, when I actually test people's vitamin D levels, like when I'm working with my fertility cases, they're often suboptimal like they're low they're not even just on the lower end of normal they're actually low and that makes sense given like how close we are to the equator that the sun you know the slip stop slap message which I think is really important that we need to be making sure that we're not increasing our risk of melanoma but at the same time I think that um, a lot of people are not getting the vitamin D that they need and so there's a lot of research around that with improving um, sperm motility morphology Mm -hmm. 
We also know that that can greatly increase IVS outcomes. We also know that that um, having good vitamin D levels will increase like live birth pregnancy outcomes as well. So oh. vitamin D is a huge thing, I think. That and does that need to come done or are you a pro-supplement person as well in that respect or from foods? It's in some foods, isn't it? It's or- in some foods, yeah, like oily fish and your eggs and if you have your mushrooms and you give them a little sun bath for a while, um, that can help oh, you. Oh, to- I didn't know yeah. that. Okay, so yeah. sun your mushrooms, everyone. Yeah, sun them. Sun them. Tan your mushrooms. So that's kind of, that's really important. But also what other things, you know, we know, we, you know, there's things like ubiquinol, which we know is CoQ10. Um, we know that, that that's, again, it's working on that oxidative stress. So that can help to kind of mop up some of that DNA damage. Mm. Uh, the key thing with that is people will often go to like a health food shop and they'll go and get it and it won't be in the right source or the levels will be low. So they'll take like 150 and you might find that depending on the weight of the person, they need to be taking much higher levels. We also need to look at any medication that can interact with that because there are some um, medications that can influence that. Um, and I'm actually I'm going to pause on that because I am glad that you're saying that because I do think that, you know, it's very easy to hear like, oh, I need vitamin D and then go, okay, I'm going to spend the $12 and get a thing of vitamin D. And then it's like you're probably spending more money buying quick fix things rather than actually coming and getting like a full assessment by someone like you who actually knows what they're talking about and so you're kind of you know like would would that be fair to say I think so because I often find women and men like come in and like I had someone turn up and she's gonna laugh if she listened to this but she just like it's tagger and she just bought like this this box and she was like this is what I'm taking like I don't know what I should be taking. I don't know how much I should be taking. I don't know if this is actually doing anything. Totally. And, of course, when people spend that much money, I want to go, okay, well, like, what have we got here that is valuable and useful? And also, how can we get this at a at a therapeutic dose as well? Because there's no point just taking, like, a sprinkling of something if you're actually deficient. You yes. need to take it at a therapeutic level as well. So, mm. um, but vitamin D, so I'll often still test their levels and then there's quite a cool little um like calculation that you can work out that goes okay if you're at this level and we want to get you to 100 then how much vitamin d do you need to take and for some people that's 5,000 some people that's 10,000 for some people that's they're pretty good just taking 2,000 iu throughout winter so yeah making sure you know the level is important um again with the ubiquinol it's good to know like case take where is that indicated for that person that CoQ10 or um, ubiquinol can be a really good thing to have both partners on because we also know that that is important for um for egg like for egg health as well and like the mitochondria within that so that can be really um often people who have got low AMH reserve is that is that a term that's like low ovarian reserve Oh, I haven't heard that, but then I'm only, I literally only got my blood work done for my hormone levels recently, and I'm just high in progesterone. Oh, well, that's... But I'm guessing that's normal when you just... Yeah, that would be a good thing to do. Like, that, to me, that's a good thing. 
Oh, is it? I don't know. I didn't just, <laughs> I was like, I don't know how to read this. So yeah. maybe seen it through the name. We can okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. good yeah. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. I'll be eye rolling. Yes, it's a very strategic chat that I'm having with you here. <laughs> how do I get rid of thrush? And is my blood level okay? Yeah. Um, looking at you, like looking at that. Um, but but then yeah. there's another, there's kind of like the new kid on the block where there's a lot of research coming out on that. There's not a lot on like human trials that we've looked at, which is to do with NAD plus or the precursor, which is uh, nicotinamide riboside um, or NR is the short name for that. Yeah. Right. Yep. You and me both. Yep. Um, so that is showing again some quite, as because people are having children later, right? And so due to that, we know that there's a little bit more like DNA damage that can occur. And so we really need to do anything we can to support fixing up some of those glitches. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I found like NR, I'm using it a lot more in clinic um, for improving like oocyte or spermogenesis as well. And I think also the key thing I would say for anyone on a fertility who's starting the fertility journey or is thinking about it is I really ideally would like to have a bare minimum of three months for preconception care, but mm. ideally that looks like six to nine months. Mm. So, and that's because if we're trying to change sperm health equality, it takes time. Like it's not going to be one cycle and you're done. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me because I didn't really ever know even if I could have children, wanted children, like I don't, it hasn't really been part of my journey. I'm with a partner at the moment that like I'm now toying with the idea but I've also been on the pill forever so I didn't even know if I would get a period I don't know if I ovulate and it's like yeah all these questions I'm like oh god I suppose I should figure that out if it's a matter for me and I'm not being disrespectful for anyone's journey who are like really solid on that and I don't mean any disrespect to my future children it wasn't really something that I wasn't in a situation or in relationship or in a life chapter where that was kind of in the yeah, forefront on your radar, right? Yeah, and I think I've gotten a little scared, to be honest, by a lot of my peers being really adamant on wanting to dive into that journey and then being met with all this new information of uh, stuff that they've been doing that has been hindering their health for years, you know? Um, so... I think that's when I started to like take it seriously, like, oh shit, okay, I should, not should, but I would like to just explore like where I'm at and get a good kind of reality check on that so that if I choose to or we choose to do that, we're kind of in a good position rather than have these conversations in two years' time and that could have been two years yeah. when I was. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and I hope, that that is, I hope I'm framing that right because I know it's a very sensitive subject to people. I, I'm not, it's not that I'm taking it lightly and I don't want to be. No, 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 not at all. And I think, you know, fertility or fertile health isn't just about making a baby. Like that's a really key point as well. You know, having an ovulatory cycle is so broad reaching in its benefits that I don't think... Mm even if you didn't decide to go down that path of having a child, like you should still be wanting to have an ovulatory cycle and, and have, and be fertile, like, because 
They're beautiful. Oh, for many years I did not want to be. Don't you yeah. worry. I was like, no, nope, let's yeah. just close up that shop and make that not an option. Fantastic. Thanks. Yeah, which is sad, right? Like, because I feel like that's just, that happens. I mean, I'm really supportive of people as well. And um, I think that it's important that we acknowledge that we do have those options available to us, like the OCP, the marina, et cetera. But I also think from my experience has been, this shutting down of like the female body and not really understanding it. Like I went through, you know, I look back to my high school years of learning about, you know, looking at conception and thinking that you could get pregnant, like basically any day and that you just needed to be aware of the fact that you were fertile, like throughout the whole month. And, you know, if you had unprotected sex, you were going to get pregnant. And so I think that's also where my other passion lies in natural fertility, like being a natural fertility educator, which is what I, I did a, a year sort of um, study once I finished around teaching people on the symptothermal method, which is um, which is around uh, looking at sim- like breaking it up symptoms. So teaching people to chart like their fertile and infertile signs. So there is sort of key things that we learn about. And I think one of your guests actually talked a bit about this. Um, and the thermal method, which is looking at temperature changes. And so I'm just really passionate about like body literacy and women starting to learn how their body works. Because again, when you're on the pill, like you're not going to experience fertile or infertile signs. You're just going to have infertile signs the whole way through. And I know when I first came off the pill, I was like, what is going on? Like, do I have thrush? You know? what is this blobby, like, egg white consistency that I find in my underwear? And, you know, I get really good at talking quite frankly about these things um, and unashamedly, but it's like, oh, no, like, that's ovulation. Like, that's huh. what that is. And Why don't we so know that? that? Why am I learning that now? Like, that's so Yeah, funny. exactly. So... I think that that's really cool, Kim, like to go on that journey and start to learn a little bit more about your cycle and what does that look like? And then again, like weave that with, you know, your thrush experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My thrush journey. What is your body telling you? Um, Yeah, well, that's what's cool. And I think that's it. Like, um, you know, a lot of my depression and anxiety and like busy lady syndrome has all been a way to like mask and not feel a lot like feel a lot in my work but I don't you know I I medicate with sugar to the point that I have an accountability because it's just yeah I'm doing all these things that I I couldn't tell you if I had an upset tummy which I do a lot of the time you know like what have you eaten I'm like good lord no spin the wheel a bit of everything like I don't know like (laughs) so I think that's what I'm learning like this listen to my body thing is a really new ashamedly a very new thing for me who's in my 30s now of like oh my god like yeah it's been screaming at me and I'm like nope shut up we're going like it's yeah I haven't given myself that grace yeah and I think that that's you know that's just human nature though right like sometimes we just don't stop until you know would I have stopped if I hadn't got an endo and had like everything screaming at me yeah you know like I wish I could say, oh, you know, I was enlightened and realized that it wasn't feeling like it was the best option, but hey, oh, that's not how that went. It was just through adversity that I decided I had to change something. So well, that I is more am, than not. I am glad that you did. I am also so sorry. I've taken up so much of your time. Have I been talking oh, to you? Like, I'm so sorry. 
Um, I will love and leave you, but I, I do like to ask people what their brain looks like because you seem so hyper-intelligent and caring and empathetic. Um, do you have a vision or a picture of what it looks like up there? <laughs> My brain, what does it look like? I think it looks busy at times, to be honest with you, Kim. Yeah, I think I have a busy brain and that looks like there's lots of things coming out from it at various moments. Oh. You still hear me? Yes, although I dropped um, you for a second, but I heard you, various moments. Yes, I got you. Yeah. So my brain... Um, yeah, I think it is very busy. There's a lot going on. There's lots of branches that go off from my brain, I would say. And But I am doing my best to create deep roots in my brain and to try my best to work on being a bit more grounded at times. So love that. That's beautiful tree brain. I love it. Um, <laughs> hey, thank you so much for your time. I'm so grateful.